On this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we break down the Terps series sweep in Piscataway this past weekend and take a look at how the Terps find themselves back in the top 25. Also, a look ahead to this coming weekend series at Nebraska, which pits two teams that are tied for second in the Big Ten standings. Finally, a conversation with Maryland outfielder Marty Costas. We talk about how he began playing baseball, transferring from the infield to the outfield upon coming to Maryland. Also, there might be a little bit of trash talk involved about a potentially upcoming battle of NBA 2K. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. Hey everyone, welcome to the 31st episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Justin Galanti alongside me, I'm Jake Eisenberg, and glad you've decided to join us for this episode. We'll talk to Marty Costas a little bit later on in the show. But first, as we mentioned, we're going to break down the weekend that was up in Piscataway. Now, I wasn't there, but Justin, you were. First off, Terp's first trip up to Rutgers as members of the Big Ten. What, were, what was it like? It was an interesting trip, as you know the travel got really mixed around. It was supposed to be a midweek game Wednesday in Philadelphia against St. Joseph. Then they would go to Piscataway on Thursday, stay there, and then have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, there was no game Wednesday. There was no game Friday. There was one Saturday, two Sunday. But the team played tremendous. It wasn't too far a drive, so everybody was having a good time in the hotel, things like that. Rutgers accommodated the team well on Friday when it was pouring rain. They hit in the in indoor facility. And then Maryland was very businesslike in its approach all weekend. A dominant sweep against Rutgers. The pitching staff only gave three runs up to the Scarlet Knights offense. And only two earned. Right, yeah. And they were just outstanding. And the offense did what it needed to do. They got timely hits. And in the third game on Sunday, they just didn't even let Rutgers have a chance. Right off the bat, the game was over before it even started. It was what you expect from a team as good as Maryland is. It was exactly what we talked about last week. If Maryland is a top 25 team like we think they are. And now the and, committee and now say they are. They are. Right. They, they go up to Piscataway and they sweep and they make it look e easy. And that's exactly what happened. Maryland now ranked 24th in the rankings by D1 Baseball, 25th by Baseball America. They're tied for second in the Big Ten Conference. We'll talk about their upcoming series with Nebraska. That's who Maryland is tied with for second in the Big Ten. And that will be a big one coming this weekend in Lincoln. But continuing on about Rutgers, that Maryland pitching staff, 27 innings, only two earned runs allowed, an ERA of .66, Schaefer, Bloom, and Bloom. Bloom and Bloom didn't necessarily have their best stuff Saturday and Sunday, but the offense gave them more than more than enough support. Well, it was I thought Schaefer was a little bit off on Friday, to be honest with you. It didn't look like he, he well, had his... Well, Saturday. Right, on Saturday, excuse me. Um, he didn't have his A-plus stuff, but his performance against Rutgers really shows the mark of a really, really good pitcher when you don't have everything working. Can you still get through a ball game? And I'd say seven innings, one earned run on just a solo shot is getting through a ball game pretty well. Bloom was not great on Sunday. Didn't have his best stuff, but Taylor Styles was incredible. His best performance of the year. He locked the game down long enough for Maryland to take the lead late. And Bloom was good on Sunday. And John Sheff told me after the game, he said, I was so impressed with my freshman because Maryland was scoring so many runs early in that game that Blome was having to go out to the bullpen between innings to stay warm because the half innings that Maryland was at bat were taking legitimately 25, 30 minutes because of pitching changes, runs scored, and Rutgers playing what was, frankly, abominable defense. Right, and that's been the biggest issue for Rutgers this whole season has been the defense, and catching was a big issue for them. Maryland was running rampant around the bases. There were a bunch of pass balls, which we've seen – plague Maryland in the past as well but for Maryland on offense Brandon Gum was back in the lineup for the first time in about a week and I'm curious as to your thoughts on how that really affected everyone's offensive approach well I think putting Gum back in there lengthens the lineup a little bit it moves guys back into what John Chef called the spots they're supposed to be in and that was supposed to be the case at least it was on Saturday but then when Kevin Smith got hurt it kind of messed things up again but Gum and Marty Costas were the leaders offensively all weekend. They came through with big hits. And Gum, yes, he hit a home run, as Costas did, but he had multiple hits where he kind of sacrificed himself to do the job, get a run in, and give Maryland leads that they eventually capitalized on to win ballgames. Now, we joke internally at, at NBN about your record as a broadcaster. 7-0. Calling Maryland games. Of course, you have 
You have yet to call a loss. I assure you it's going to happen. I don't know. And, and you joke with me that my record is not as good as yours, and that's, Win. of course, because my record is <laughs> somewhat similar to Maryland's record, and that's okay. Now I thought you were going to tell me that wins are dumb. Win well, no, <laughs> only f- only for pitchers. <laughs> only for pitchers, wins and losses are dumb, and that's a conversation for another time. But another thing that I noticed is that when you call ball games, Brandon Gum hits home runs. He does. That's his second when I was calling it, and the first one he hit came back against Bryant, I believe it was, and it was kind of a moonshot pop up to left field that barely got out. So I didn't get to have a home run call per se. Oh, you didn't you didn't recognize it off the bat? Right. And then this one where we were sitting or where I was sitting was right behind the plate and the depth perception of how far the ball was traveling was very hard also. So neither of them have been no doubters, but it's good to see Gum doing what he's doing and we'll both be on the call for BTN tomorrow, so I guess he's going to hit a ho- another home run. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. One thing we do know is Maryland's going to win, and my record will go to 8-0. And oh, big predictions I'll here from Justin I'll Galanti. I'll give you a little bump with your oh, thank you. percentage. Oh, I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough, <laughs> Justin. Now, it's good that you're getting experience, you know, calling games from right behind home plate because that's exactly how it is this summer. You're going up to board in the Cape Cod League. I was Were in, you in Chatham I last year? I was in Chatham last year, and that's exactly how it is. Every game that you call is right up against the backstop. But for you this weekend – it was your first time traveling with the team, which is a really fun experience that I've really enjoyed over the past couple of years. What were your first impressions of it? Well, I thought they're, that the team is very close-knit. They like being together on the road. Um, they took me in pretty quickly, especially on Sunday, and I know you want to mention this. Um, I took some flack on the bus for the state of my face right now. <laughs> um, wait, wait. Before we go any further, let's put it this way. Um, do you know how Tyler Blome uses a red leather glove when he pitches? <laughs> or Mike Racino uses that glove. So does Ryan Selmer, Ryan Hill. Justin's face is the color of that bright red leather glove. He somehow managed to get sunburned in Piscataway, New Jersey. Well, let, <laughs> let me explain what happened. The entire quote-unquote press box. There is no press box. Right, but what they – press row? Sure. At Bainton Field in Piscataway is covered except for one table which I was at. So my head got, you know, very sunny. I I would bet pretty much everything I have that you would not have brought sunscreen if you Absolutely were going this not. Weekend. Well, let me let me put it to you this way. When when we traveled down to Florida, I didn't bring sunscreen. Of course, we were in a like actual press box at a minor league facility. Same thing goes for when we were at LSU. Now, down in Cary, I was not expecting to be outdoors, but ended up being outdoors for the Sunday game against Dayton. Didn't bring sunscreen and did get a little bit sunburned. Right. So what it I can had, sneak up on you. Right. And I my face was feeling a little hot, um, and I didn't know exactly what was happening. But between games, I went for a little bit of a walk, and I walked by John Chef, and all he said to me was, uh, he "said Justin, you might want to get a hat this game." <laughs> so uh, I went back and I got my phone and I looked in and I was not happy with what I saw. So I went over. Does that happen often? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a low hanging fruit, Justin. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Um, it's a good thing we're on a podcast here. No one's, this isn't a uh, Skype or anything like that. But <laughs> So I talked with Taylor Smythe, and I said to him, Taylor, the only hat I have is a winter hat, but it's 65 degrees. What should I do? And he said, man, you got to put the hat on. You'll thank me tomorrow. And I am thanking him because it's it's pretty painful right now, and it would certainly be worse if I sat through a whole nother game without the hat on. But I got I to gotta ask, how would a winter hat help protect your face? Well, my forehead. My forehead's the worst part. Oh, so you covered, you covered, you you had the hat down to your eyebrows, basically. Oh, yeah. It was low. That's a that's a strong look, Justin. Yes, and the Rutgers student broadcasters next to me, I don't know if they were the Rutgers radio guys next to me, um, in the third inning, he turned to me and said, why are you wearing that hat? And I just pulled it up and he said, oh, yeah. And they were covered. Yes. They didn't have to worry about the sunburn. Right. So The risk, at least. We w- we were both calling the same game, but we certainly did not have the same experience. They, were, You were in the elements, and they were not. Oh, yeah. And at Maryland Baseball Network, we're blue-collar. Right. And, and I was trying to think last night on the bus ride home, would I rather what happened yesterday with myself getting so burned or that Bryant doubleheader that we called where it was snowing and mm. freezing, and I came to the conclusion of the sunburn. I would take the sunburn ten times out of ten. Absolutely. I don't know, for those of you that have been out to Bob Turtlesmith Stadium, when it's snowing or when it's threatening snowing or when it's sub-freezing, you know how cold it can get. 
And lucky enough for you guys sitting in the stands, you can really bundle up. You can bring a blanket, you can bring gloves, a hat, and you can sit there all cuddly and warm. Up in the press box, you know, we need to be able to use our hands. It's kind of difficult to wear a beanie underneath the headsets. I do it anyway, and I've managed to figure out how. But, you know, you put on enough layers, and you can't really move as much as you need to. So you're pretty much, you're pretty much cold, and that's about it. Absolutely, and the thing I've noticed is that it's better to stand when it's that cold than to sit because the metal seats were on. It's just brutal. Right. I mean, I could talk about this all day. Oh, yeah. But in any case, I still think it's hilarious that you managed to get sunburned in southern New Jersey. Right. Yeah, I, I walked into my first class today, and the teacher was saying, Oh, how was spring break down in Puerto Rico? No, she <laughs> actually, she actually was um, talking about, it was a journalism class, and she was talking about, okay, let me think of a story idea to give an example. She goes, oh, I thought of one. Someone fell asleep in the sun for five hours yesterday and looked <laughs> right at me. And I said, I did not realize it could be so sunny in New Jersey. Well, that that's what happens sometimes. So now, lesson learned. Right. Wear some sunscreen or don't at least be covered in some capacity. Right. My favorite part about the trip, though, every team kind of has a, a song that gets played right before they go out to take the field. And Rutgers had the theme song from The Sopranos, which was fantastic oh, to it's have. classic New, New Jersey. Jersey yeah. And Big, it's a great show. Was there a lot of Bon Jovi being played, some Bruce Springsteen in the ballpark, a lot of Springsteen? A lot of Springsteen, and then... Sounds like my kind of ballpark. Right, I mean, and with the game on Sunday that Maryland was leading 8 nothing before I had even taken my seat, uh, there were a lot of pitching changes, and they needed a lot of music to kind of, you know, smooth the game along. Well, I think, I think we've digressed enough on Justin's sunburn, and, you know, hopefully you'll get back soon to full strength. Um, but I think you'll be all right for the call tomorrow and, you know, in, over the next couple weeks. But turning our attention back to Rutgers and, and this past weekend series just for a little bit, I thought one of the most impressive performances, other than Pat Heisel coming in, it's so great to see him get not only get an opportunity, of course, not the way you want the opportunity, but to see him deliver in the way that we, he did defensively and getting that double. I have to ask, after the game, how much flack was he taking for tripping around first base? Oh, that was amazing. Everyone was getting <laughs> on him. And when you win the game by as many runs as it's Maryland It's a lot easier did, to it, do that. Right. Um, it was a fun bus ride home, and there were a couple times where Pat was – he would get up or something, and everyone would make sure that he stayed up on his feet. <laughs> uh, no one thought of this, but – It almost went out, that ball. It did. Um, and maybe somebody could get him that life alert. Have you seen those commercials? Oh. I've fallen and <laughs> I've I can't, fallen get, I up. can't <laughs> get up. I mean, he got back up on <laughs> his own. He still got the double. It was he still got the double. But it, it was awesome to see. It was a hanging curveball. He stayed on it, drove it off the left center field fence. And John Sheff was saying to me after the game, he's been around a long time, and he's a guy everybody on the team roots for. He works very hard, got an opportunity, and took full advantage. He was smooth in the field, and he had that big RBI double. Great piece out sometime today on our website by our own Joe Catapano about Pat Heisel and his performance this past weekend. Be sure to check that out. And he's a guy who's in the dugout when he's not playing. He's among the loudest down there. And, you know, he's always, he always finds ways to get himself kind of into the ball game, not necessarily physically, but certainly mentally and, and, you know, with the whole team and everything in that. You talked on the broadcast about, you know, the Fu Manchu that he grew a couple weeks ago, which I have to say was magnificent. Now, you might be wondering, Justin, since I wasn't in Rutgers this past weekend, what was I doing? See, there that was a conversation because you texted me multiple times and you called Taylor after one of the games. and Taylor, I felt lost. Taylor and I were discussing. We said, you would think Eisenberg has something else to do than watch <laughs> the game on his weekend off. Well, I, well, admittedly, I did. I did have some things to do, and I did get those things done. But truth be told, you know, I felt a little bit lost. I didn't know exactly what to do with all of the so-called free time that I had. I was glued to your broadcasts. I, I tuned into the to the stream a little bit just to see what the field looked like because I wanted to get, you know, I, I'd never been there, so I wanted to get that idea. But I listened to your broadcast mostly. You did a fantastic job. I well well done. Um, I did take the opportunity on Sunday during both games. I, it, was, it was a beautiful day down in College Park, so I went to the driving range, had, had the – had the broadcast pulled up on the Mixler app on my phone, which you can download in the App Store. Ooh, M I X L R. Product integration. How you like that on the podcast? So I plugged in, plugged in my headphones, started taking some swings, and it was a gorgeous afternoon until my driver head snapped. But I still listened to the broadcast. Oh, it was no. a lot of fun. I think everyone should hear the story from Saturday morning, though. I texted you on the bus ride over. Oh, we, it was. It, keep it, in mind, it was April first. 
um, a lot of us, it, this was a discussion at breakfast of what the text would be that I sent you. But so I, I want I want people to realize that it was it it's I, I learned this afterwards. It was a preconceived plot to mess with me on April Fool's Day. And I guess this is what you guys came up with. So I texted Jake and I said, Jake, is there any chance you forgot to put the headsets in? And he gave me one of those no's and dot, 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 dot. And you could, I could feel you the wheels <laughs> turning in Jake's head. And I said, they're not here. What should I do? <laughs> I mean, you said, are you, do you seriously not have the headsets? And I just <laughs> said, happy April Fool's Day. And you were not happy with yourself. I mean, <laughs> I, look, look, maybe I'm gullible. Maybe I'm just uh, overly paranoid. I knew I put the headsets in the case. But as soon as you texted me that, I was thinking, Oh my goodness, did I leave them at the stadium? Did I leave them the last time we recorded the podcast? Where could they possibly be? And then I went from that and I went to, okay, if the headsets aren't there, well, one, I got to find them. Two, what can Justin do this weekend? So I started thinking of different possibilities and ways that you could come up with a broadcast. And trust me, I got pretty resourceful in some of the ideas. Luckily, we'll never have to use them, knock on wood. And uh, yeah, you guys, you guys got me. So well done on your little trick. And I'll have to get you back at some point. Okay. Next April 1st, I'll be waiting for it. <laughs> All right, we'll continue on to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Now welcoming in Maryland outfielder Marty Costas. Currently leads the team in batting average. He's hitting 362. That's a mark that's third best in the Big Ten, and that comes on the heels of a freshman All-American season that saw him lead the Terps in both home runs and RBI. So a fun conversation coming up with Marty Costas. Marty, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. It's a fun time of year. I appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Now, I wasn't in Rutgers with you guys. Justin Galanti was. But what was that like up in Piscataway? You hit 385, a home run to straightaway center field. What were you seeing this weekend? Um, I just, you know, just kept, kept to my routine. <clears throat> and I feel like a lot of times I, uh, I got pitches that were over the plate, you know what I mean? At first I was getting out because I was uh, a little bit too anxious. But once I calmed down, you know, I let the game come to me a little bit. Now, as kind of we start our conversation, I want to back up here, and I want to go kind of chronologically with you. So I want to back up to last season, which was really your first playing baseball kind of full-time, because in high school, you were a three-sport athlete. You were football, basketball, and baseball, am I right? Yes, sir. So I guess we'll start kind of in high school. You know, did you play baseball all four years, or is that something you picked up along the way? I played baseball all four years. I um, I transferred schools. I played um, uh, one school for two years and another school for two years. And did you also play football and basketball for all four years? Well, uh, yeah, I I played football and basketball on JV for uh, two years and then varsity for two years. But baseball was varsity all four years. Yeah. So baseball, yeah. so baseball was always your best out of the three. I I don't know. I guess it was the circumstances of the school I was at. You know what I mean? I went to uh, I transferred from like a really big public school in the city to like a private school. You know what I mean? It's a lot different like competition and stuff. Right. You ended up at Archbishop Curley. But yeah, I transferred into Archbishop Curley for my junior and senior year. So I guess how did you then make the decision? You know, past the high school level. I mean, could you have played football, basketball, or baseball, or was baseball the only one that had that Division One opportunity? No, I could have. I mean, not Division One, but I could have played uh, basketball, Division Two, even a little Division One, like and football, because I was getting recruited by you know all three sports. I didn't. I wasn't even you know being heavily recruited for baseball. Only school that wanted me was Towson. Right, because you were you were a, a guy coming in last year that I mean wasn't really expected to do anywhere near what you did. And, you know, what you did was incredibly impressive, a freshman All-American season. But that certainly wasn't the expectation coming in. So I guess, you know, when you came to Maryland, first off, you know, how did how did you make that decision not only to come to Maryland but to play baseball post-high school and not basketball or football? Because I, I just had confidence in my, you know, in myself. And that's been what I love to do the most, you know. I just think the where I came from, the school wasn't that good. So uh, that's why, I didn't, you know, I was kind of overlooked. But it's always been a passion for me and my brother. What position did you play in uh, football and basketball? I was a point guard in, uh, in, uh, in point guard in basketball, 
and football played strong safety and played running back. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't. I really played running back more. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. You didn't strike me as the center type. No, you're not the tallest guy out there. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you got yeah. the you got the handling skills. Oh yeah, yeah. So is it like is it like uh, Steph Curry, John Wall? I, no, see, I used to play more like John Wall, or like I used to play more like um like Westbrook kind of. Not because I wasn't really like a knockdown three point shooter at the time. I was playing. I kind of did a little bit of everything for my team, like rebounded, played defense. You know what I mean? I was like a point guard. I could do it like all, but I wasn't really gonna say a good shooter, though, like three point shooter. But I I could do like mid range. You know what I mean? I mean, I know you claim to be one of the best uh, 2K players on the team, and I know you've beaten me handily more than a few times. But when you it remember that, I that do. So I do cool. remember that. I didn't. Oh, I didn't stand a chance. I didn't oh, stand that, a chance. I, man, that was. I'm glad you brought that. I made my day. I, I would never <laughs> forget that on the hall where you and your buddy came in and played. He was like, man, you remember Peyton was there with us? Oh yeah, I remember. He, yeah, that was that was a time. I think I lost by 20. It wasn't yeah, close. Yeah, you. But you started off hot. Look, you started off. I started off strong. Off a good you know game. what this? You know what this means, Marty? I need a rematch soon. You definitely will get one. I'm going to bring our PS4 on the road for you this weekend. One in, day. This weekend in Nebraska, maybe. I man, I definitely can. All right. You well, know what? we'll set it. We'll set a date. We'll set a date and time. Exactly, because uh, you know, I remember you had like the old sons of like Charles Barkley. <laughs> it was a good was, team. Like, no it was way. a good team. I was like, no way you're going to try to use Charles. That's why he hasn't won a championship. You're going to choose him to beat me, a champion. I mean, I like watching him on TV. He's an entertaining guy. I figured it'd be fun to use him. Nah, yeah, he, yeah, that is funny. But I can't believe you remember that. <laughs> of course, man. I mean, going back, going back to the real basketball game, though, when it comes to the guys on the team, I mean, who are the hoopers besides you? Who gets out of the hardwood every now and again? Uh, I see uh, my roommate play, like Hunter Parsons. McDonald, but I would say AJ and Kevin Smith. Well, know, Kevin Kevin played in high school I, also, very briefly. Yeah, and uh, Mike Resigno, those three guys like AJ, Kevin, Mike, they're they're like decent players to me, really decent. Like you, you could watch them at a basketball gym, and now you think that they're baseball players, you know? Right, right. But like, but coming into coming into Maryland, you know, putting putting the basketball side, going back to the baseball side of things. This is, of course, the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Um, so going back to the baseball side of things, you came into Maryland, as you mentioned, not a very heavily recruited player, um, so not necessarily very touted either. So how did you take that in the fall and turn yourself into, I guess, what you became last year, which was a guy who led the team in home runs and RBIs? I did, you know, it was just a, a lot of grinding out each and every day. It was it was a process for me that like I found you know I found myself and you know just trying to play the game a little bit more and more now it's like helping me learn uh, learn from experiences you know making me a better player but uh, you know coming into my freshman season I I mean I didn't feel like I was you know below anyone else like I was just a player that like you know the next man so. Right, you know, and that's, I, and that's I, not I, what I was you suggesting. Know, I was recruited to come in, so I was I had my confidence. Right, right. No, and the, I mean the the thing that one of one of the most one of the most interesting things about you to me is that you didn't come into Maryland as an outfielder. You came in as an infielder. You you played shortstop in high school, third yeah, base was, in high school. I was a high school shortstop. Yeah, exactly. See, that's what I'm saying. Like I had to make some adjustments. And right, and I that's one of the more fascinating things way. to me. I mean, when you yeah. found out you were going to make that transition to the outfield, what was that like for you? I was like, it's, it, it, I was like, it, it should be less of a burden. It's something I can do, you know. Like, I play, I'm a baseball player. I can play every position on the field, you know. Now, is there? Nah, I mean, I guess, I guess I guess I can't pitch like, <laughs> as good as the next I mean, guy. But hey, like, I, Jamal I've Wade, Jamal Wade was an outfielder. He's pitching pretty well now, so don't rule it out. I yeah, guess. You know what I mean? And Jamal Wade played infield in high school. Right. So at St. Paul, I played against him. He always played third. So never, so never say never, Marty. Yeah. So I mean, good players sometimes like like take Ben Zobris for example. That you know that helps him stay in the league a long time. Being like a multi-faceted guy, it's very interesting to watch. Yeah, and he's he's a fun guy to watch play also. And now, it was good to see him finally get a World Series. You know, playing that long. 
Oh, we're gonna we're gonna get to some major league conversation in a second, as it is kind of opening week in, in the major leagues. But I wanna I'm mm -hmm. curious about this. Your transition kind of from the infield to the outfield. Did your background with football help with that at all? Yeah, it definitely does because it's um, like footwork. Just, you have to learn. And we're in an open space. It definitely feels like playing football. Because you kind of you you have to be more aware of your of your surroundings and you're running towards the wall, running towards you know whether it be Jankarski in center field or or somebody else who's out there. Kind of the yeah. same idea, right? Exactly. Because there was a play against Michigan where I kind of like was running and then like pretended to, like, dive at someone's feet. And that's what's – it's reminding me, like, of a hit you make in a football run. Like, down the side. Yeah, I, I remember that. I remember Jankarski coming up afterwards and being pretty thankful that you got out of the way. <laughs> Otherwise, he was going to be on his back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't want to hurt him. <laughs> uh, but that, 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 then that freshman season for you, you know, you weren't in the starting lineup to begin the year. So my biggest thing is, you know, at, at what point last spring – did you feel things click in a place? Did you know, like, that you were ready, that you were in going to be in the lineup every day? At what point did it kind of all come together? Was there a moment? Um, it kind of was. Um, it was more. It was more like during when we played East, in the ECU series that I, you know, I started getting it. I, I got a bat in the four spot. You know what I mean? So I think they had some confidence in me. So I just, I was like, that's my turn to shine. Right. And, I, and, I, and if I had to have guessed, I would have guessed that weekend. You hit a pretty big home run that weekend, if I remember correctly. It was a pretty big shot. Oh, three yeah. run out to left field. Yeah. Did that, what kind of so confidence like, did that give you? I was like, I'm having success with this, you know, so far. So why not run with it? Well, I feel like someone who's like, uh, um, not experienced enough. I mean, all the numbers are there. Right, right, exactly. You know, and you know, all you did was end up leading the team in home runs and all Big Ten freshmen in home runs. So it, things turned out pretty well for you, I guess. Yeah, but I had fun with the guys. Most of the thing when I look, when you look back over those years, you don't necessarily have to remember like what you bad at, who led this and that. I remember um, Coach Chef. I think he was telling me that one time. And that's you know that's a powerful thing. So that's how I, I mean, it was a good season. Don't get me wrong for me, but I definitely um you know like being it was an honor like playing with Pat for his last year. Guy like that was so big to the program. Being able to play there was kind of cool. And now he's your coach. Is that has that been a little bit, now has coach, that been a little so different? Weird. Has that been a yeah, little different? Weird. I mean, it seemed to me last year that even though he was in the position he was as a player in the outfield, that he kind of had that coach mentality to him, working with kind of the younger guys like you and Jankarski. Yeah, he coached me, man. He coached <laughs> me a lot. That's what I'm saying. So, he, like, it was it's weird to, like, talk to him now, and he's actually a coach. But it's the, same, it's the same relationship, it seems like. Yeah, I thought it was yeah, I mean, he's a good guy. I mean, now you just call him coach, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't call him coach, though. Yeah, I call him Pat. Right. <laughs> It's cause it's it, because it's like I don't want things to change between us, you know. Just right. Because of what his role. It's, it was is. a pretty. It was a pretty smooth transition for him. We've I respected him, him like a coach when he played with me. So. Absolutely. Because he was so knowledgeable, like he has so much experience. He's taught me but things. That's something. You know. So after the, after that freshman season, you go to play with the Baltimore Redbirds in the Ripken League for the second year. What was yeah, the, what was the that, biggest difference from the first and second year over the summer? Second year, it was like, can we go back to back? Like the guys that like it was like a new group of guys. These guys were so they were so um, fun to be around. You know, I'm not saying that the, the team before that I won with wasn't, but these guys are like uh, they were good friends. All of them, like we all ended up like. Actually, like getting along, and you know, it was it was a fun summer. I mean, like, there were a couple I, guys I, I on Maryland. Hunter more. Parsons was there, Andrew Miller was there. So was yeah, Mike and then there were some guys from Maryland on there too, like uh, Miller and Parsons and Reese. And we used to play two ball every day, and, and we used to make like do crazy things in the dugout. Like we really tried, we really were enjoying it. When we were, you know, right. I mean, and then there were some guys that you've played against this year, like uh, Kyle Datris down at UNC. Yeah, 
Gotchers, yeah. And then I'll talk to him before the game. I'm walking back to the dugout. He's taking in and out. He throws the ball over first base in the head. I'm going to smoke him right in the neck. <laughs> I don't think it, it was, was it on like, purpose. I don't like how – I don't know how it didn't hit me. It was just the perfect timing. It's just maybe his throw curved a little bit at the last second. Uh, I don't think it was on purpose. And I, and they were like, heads up. All here is right past, right past <laughs> my head. I'm pretty I'm sure. Like, oh, I'm pretty geez. sure in batting practice, maybe a couple weeks ago, there was one that almost – hit me when I was talking to, to Ryan Fecto down in the bullpen area. I, I swear to God, it was like, it was the funniest thing. It, it, oh, you remember that? You, you remember that? Yeah. I saw it. Yeah, I saw Did it. you hit it? No, it wasn't me that hit it, though. It was like, I think it was like Smitty or Dunn or something. But someone in the same <laughs> cage group as me. It was pretty close. It landed, it landed in between... Me you were and, in and left Fecto. field, right? Right. We were in the left field corner. You were talking to – yeah, down the line. I think it's done like a sliced one, maybe, or Kevin might have pulled one. But anyway, I think it was one of them too. Well, let this be a lesson to anyone who's listening. During batting practice, yeah, wherever you are, beware of batted, beware balls. Of batted balls. So what did, what, did you do, what did you do this summer, you know, coming off that freshman season that you had? What were some of the improvements that you were trying to make over the summer to bring into this sophomore year? Hmm. I was just trying to get comfortable with what myself and my stance and things like that. I wanted to eliminate a lot of ground balls, you know. Like, and that's an interesting contact. thing to me. I just hmm? that's an interesting thing to me because it seems like there are a lot of major league hitters that are all talking about you know launch angle and getting the barrel of the bat kind of through the zone a little bit differently as to not hit ground balls when. You know, when I was playing in Little League, they always taught, you know, to, to chop the tree and hit down on the ball and, you know, punch through it. Um, it seems like there's a kind of a philosophical change there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ground balls are out, you know. <laughs> but they sometimes, they get through when you hit them on the barrel. But it's interesting how the game can work like that, though. It's a matter of inches. I mean, and you just kind of kept on hitting this summer. You hit over 300 this summer as you almost did in the first spring, hitting over 300 now. So how have you kind of continued with that consistency from last spring to last summer into the fall and now, you know, coming through into this spring where, you know, you're batting 362? Hmm. I think um, it's just some more experience. The more you got to learn from people, man, the better I can be. I, I like to take little things. It doesn't even matter who's giving me advice, you know. It'd be a play on the team. Coach, you know, I'm always taking advice and trying, you know, elevate my game. I don't think I'm ever perfect. One thing that I noticed that you do that maybe some other guys do also, but it seems like you're always the one over there, is is before games, you'll be getting a, a ton of extra swings in on a tee, kind of on by the by the Maryland on deck circle. What are you working on? Uh, Just like, like I said earlier about, like, eliminating, like, balls right here on top of them. And just finding, like, a good uh, mechanism to keep my hands going through the zone smoothly. You know what I mean? Because once you do it so many times in the game, you don't have to think about it. So all all of this baseball-wise, after playing, you know, growing up and then going through high school is becoming more second nature. I mean, when did you start playing baseball? Well, I was like seven. So it's been a long time, point being. Mm -hmm. Did you start playing basketball and football at the same time, too? Oh, yeah. I started basketball five years old, six years old. Basketball, football, five, six. I couldn't get on a team, actually, for baseball until I was eight. How come? Then at this neighborhood rec league I had, when I turned nine and ten, I both I won two back-to-back -back championships on a team I played on. I pitched. And my when I was nine, I wanted a season MVP. <laughs> I know that I, I was like my those are things you don't forget. When I was younger. That's some. Those are two things you don't forget. Two back to back seasons with the same group of guys, two championships, and they I, I won the MVP in one of the years. My like my the whole, greatest like, athletic accomplishment was fifth grade little league. I think I struck out once and hit like nine sixty. At least well, I'd like I'd nah, like nah, to nah. think so. I'd like to think I did. You were a legend, man. See, that's what it's being about, man. Hey, man, I was I was an all-star little leaguer. Exactly. You got to go out with a legend. <laughs> that's, those are the memories I take. 
But I guess I, getting back to, to what we were talking about, why why couldn't you join a league until you were eight? They were just uh, too far away from my house. And my parents, my family had the money to spend traveling. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. I was too young to play, like, at seven. I ended up playing in the same league when I was eight, though. You know what I mean? Did like, you? playing nine, ten. Because that's how low the, like, the, the I didn't, because my dad didn't want me playing t-ball. You know? And up until, like, six, seven years old, they had everyone playing t-ball in this league that was by my house. So he and then it was nine ten. So I was like, when he's eight, he's I just started playing. Growing up, did you did you play with your brother a lot? Yeah, and he that's how he know everything for me. And he's well, he's kind of following in your footsteps in some ways. Is he's committed to play in Maryland in a couple of years? He's doing real well, man. All glory be to him because he's a he's stepping up to like a lot of like good teams, and he you know. He's been with the same kids all through his four years. Tell me, tell me a little bit about Maxwell. He's tall. He's like six two, six three. <laughs> so two. you didn't, you didn't get the height genes. Nah, he's a big boy. He's he's got a he got a good frame on him. He's um got a he, you know he's kind of built like me, but not his chest isn't as big. But uh, yeah, he um he's a third baseman, first baseman pitcher he sometimes plays shortstop kind of a do-it-all uh, infielder yeah he's got a big arm does it does he yeah. have the same power that you do from the right side of the plate oh, yeah yeah yes he's not as fast as i am but he has a little bit more power you know what i mean he's like a slight obviously i'm more like i guess a quicker but now with him with him not coming to maryland for the next two years you're more than likely not going to get a chance to play with him collegiately. Yeah, but that isn't a bad feeling, you know, because he's going to have to pave his own road anyway for himself. I can't, you know, I'll be there anyway to come back when I'm, you know, off, you know, off season. Well, that's one of the that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about during our conversation is that one thing that not many people realize and that I didn't realize initially when this spring started is that you'll be draft eligible come this June because you turned 21 more than 45 days before the MLB draft. Is, is that something that you've considered or have looked into? I definitely have looked into it. I, um, I'm just like, I just need to, when I find out like where I get drafted and what round and stuff, then I'll make the decision from there. Um, but as of now, I'm just trying to win games for you know the Terps right now. You know? I know. Oh, I know. I, I know my teammates that I can't be um, fucking too far ahead. We work too hard for me to become selfish now. Well, you're also you're also slated to go join Nick Dunn up in the Cape Cod League yeah, this summer in Brewster. I'm, yeah, I have a contact to play in the Cape. Is that is that an experience that you're looking forward to? I mean, I could go on and on and on about how, what my experience was like, but I'm sure Nick's giving you a little bit more insight as to what it's like as a player. Exactly. That's what I'm going to learn from him. So I think he's so good, to be honest. So I, I, plus, I've already like tried to learn from him as a player in general. And he's a good friend of mine. He's my roommate. What is what is what are some of the things that you learn from him? His way his like swing is is um very like smooth. It's not like a you know big leg kick. You know. So when you're very, hitting, sorry, go ahead. No, it's very um uncomplicated as you put it. So when you're hitting a behind a guy like Nick Dunn, are you really keyed in on his approach at the plate and then kind of following what he's doing in some ways? It's hard. It's a little hard because he's left handed. He gets pitched a lot sometimes differently and the angle how his swing looks can be hard to tell sometimes. But he's always good because I know he's going to get on base. <laughs> so, and that means more RBIs for you. <laughs> yeah, so I I love him hitting in front of me, and I love when he like he gets the team going with like a big hit. He's always that guy. So you're looking forward to potentially playing with him, with him this summer. Oh yeah. Has he has he me told you anything been. about Brewster yet? 
Yes, he's told me a lot about Brewster. Like what? So like how the the fields like at a playground. Yeah, there's a there's a playground kind of behind home plate. In fact, they got they have this net that goes over the entire playground to protect all the kids playing from foul balls that go over the backstop. Yeah. Which is a pretty smart idea because as we were talking about before, you got to be paying attention and sometimes little kids are more preoccupied with going down the slide than catching a pop-up. <laughs> <laughs> How did you enjoy it this summer? I mean, it was one of the best experiences of, of my life. It's just pure baseball, Marty. Day in, day out. Um, you get a day off, you can go to the beach and hang out get to explore kind of the area. Um, and I was actually, I lived in Brewster, um, even though I was with the Chatham Anglers, I lived in Brewster pretty much like five minutes away from the Brewster field. So I was over there a, a decent amount and got to see Nick a couple times and got to see Kevin Smith a couple times in YD and Ryan Selmer out in Wareham, which was always nice to see, you know, the Maryland guys. And kind of what I realized is the more people that you know around the league, the more fun it becomes because you start to meet people and then you look forward to seeing them when you go play them, and it's got that, you know, you saw it this summer in the Cal Ripken League, how, you know, you'll see some of your yeah. teammates playing on and the big train or Gaithersburg, and, and you'll meet up with them and have that friendly competition. That would be, that'll be the coolest thing about playing, like, in the major leagues one day. It's like, you know, you know guys on other teams and stuff right now, and it's like, you know who you're going to get. And it's not like a big spectrum of the world like college. A lot of different people, you know? Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. I mean, there's already kind of because there's only thirty, uh, thirty teams. Right, right. I mean, I can, I can say from my vantage point, you know, as a broadcaster, there are broadcasters around the league that I've gotten to know that I look forward to seeing. You know, when we go to certain places or you know certain players that I've gotten to know over the years that um, that you I've gotten to know. You worked with Wareham, right? I was in Chatham. I meant to say Chatham. Sorry, Anglers. Right. So, for instance, right. so tomorrow. So tomorrow, there's a guy on the Richmond team, Kyle Adams, who played for Chatham this summer, who I'll get to say hello to, and that'll be pretty cool for me. Cool. But you'll have you'll have those That's relationships too as you as you continue on. Yeah. You already do. Yeah. You already do. We talked earlier this season about how we both know Stuart Fairchild. Oh yeah, and uh, a couple of guys on Wake Forest and North Carolina ACC schools, Virginia. The guy with the biggest forearms I've ever seen in my life. The biggest forearms you'll ever see. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, I, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I they're the size of my biceps, maybe my quads. I don't know. I'm not a big guy by any means, but I mean, they're those forearms are pretty massive for Stu. He he's he's a samurai man. The way he used to do that bow at second base during the Cal Ripken League, and he was like hit get three hits a game, and he was just I've never seen a player that good. So this weekend, Marty. Uh, yeah. This weekend, Marty. Teams headed out to Nebraska, which is a place that you guys have been to before, but out in Omaha, not necessarily Lincoln yet. What are you most looking forward to about this weekend's trip? Interesting that um, we were in the Omaha too. In Omaha too. That's the most interesting part about the trail. I kind of wish we would go visit by there. I miss it. Oh, <laughs> uh, you gotta but, get, you um, gotta get back there. Yeah, and the best part about it is that. It's just another opportunity to experience another university. So that's I do love traveling for that reason, just to get to see new places. It's one of my favorite parts too. Well, uh, well, Marty, mm -hmm. thanks so much for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast this weekend. Don't forget to bring uh, 2K so we can have our rematch, and hopefully I'll, I'll oh, fare yeah. hopefully I'll fare a little bit better. Yeah, you know, uh, this is even though we're on this podcast, I'm serious about beating the 2K. Oh, I know. You can you can bring the uh, trash talk. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring it right back. You know, I'm serious, right? Like I'm gonna wax you. Uh, <laughs> all right, Marty. Sounds good. I'll I'll bring my A game for sure. Thank you, man. Have I a good night. Appreciate you uh, working with me and stuff. You, you did the guy to us for all. You especially for driving here. Hey, it's 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 a pleasure watching you play, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. As always, Marty. Now we turn our attention away from Rutgers in this past weekend, the sweep for Maryland, and ahead to this week's slate of games, a tilt with Richmond in the midweek. But after that, quite frankly, a huge Big Ten series in Lincoln at Nebraska, considered to be one of the top teams in the Big Ten, along with Maryland, currently tied for second in the Big Ten with Maryland. This is a series that, like the one two weeks ago against Michigan, could end up having some pretty big implications, you know, pun intended there, it's the Big Ten Conference. Uh, pretty big implications of with the top 
seeds or so as we get down the stretch. Right. It's interesting. Maryland has two of, what do you want to say, the four best teams other than them in the conference in the first three weekends. And I think this weekend against Nebraska is going to revolve around pitching. The highest ERA of Nebraska's three starters on the weekend is 3.04. So that's pretty impressive. And on Friday, they have a guy, Jake Myers, who's already thrown a complete game shutout this year. He has four wins, Jake. That's four wins, one loss, and a 1.96 earned run average. And he's not overpowering, only 23 strikeouts, but he doesn't walk anyone. And opponents are only hitting 230. And really, if you look up and down the Nebraska staff, nobody has a batting average against over 260. So they keep people off base. They do a good job. And it will be a challenge for Maryland to come back and try and reproduce the offense they had against Rutgers, especially if Kevin Smith can't go at some point this weekend or if he's not 100%. Right, and this was one of the main reasons why Nebraska was considered to be one of the best teams of the Big Ten coming into this season. It's because they return pretty much their entire rotation from last year. You mentioned Jake Myers, Derek Burkamper's back as well, Matt Waldron, Chad Lindsman, who was one of the best freshmen last year as a reliever, has struggled this year, but he's still a back-of-the-end guy. He's got four saves, and he's struck out 17 and 19 and two-thirds innings. It's been the control for Linsman that th that's been the issue. But if you look at the staff up and down, especially those weekend starters that you mentioned, I think this is the weekend that you say, okay, these are the two best rotations in the Big Ten going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Absolutely, and that matchup, Myers against Schaefer on Friday night, should be outstanding. Schaefer's been great lately, and we've talked about it, how John Sheff must feel like every Friday night he has the advantage in the Big Ten. This might be the Friday night where he doesn't sleep quite as well Nothing against Schaefer, but Myers is just an outstanding pitcher. Well, not only that, but we talked about this a couple weeks ago, how Schaefer versus Jasky was a potential matchup between Big Ten Pitcher of the Year contenders. I'd say it's the same thing this coming Friday. The other thing about Jake Myers is that he's a guy who can help his own cost. He's batting two ninety eight this season. He's a two-way guy for Nebraska, and it's an offense that's been pretty potent. They're batting two sixty as a team. Scott Schreiber is one of the best hitters overall in the Big Ten. Last year, led the conference in home runs, had 16, only has two this year, so the power has dropped off a little bit, but still batting 320. And something else about Myers, he's stolen 10 bases in 10 attempts this year, and you would say, well, that could be an issue because good base runners always pose issues. Maryland does that themselves. But I thought the Terps, just going back for one second, did an outstanding job against Jawan Harris this weekend, who led the Big Ten in stolen bases last year. He's leading it this year. And the main reason was Justin Morris. He threw out a couple base runners, actually on double steals, where he threw out the trail runner, which were outstanding plays. But Bloom, when Harris got on against him, he threw over time and time again. And sometimes you feel like, well, I got to stop throwing over. This is boring. But he didn't do it. And so if Maryland can continue to control the running game, that's huge against a guy like Myers. But going back to Schreiber, he's an outstanding hitter. He's a 320. Doesn't strike out much, but also doesn't walk much. Only five on the season in 103 at-bats. Nebraska's not an overly powerful team. They only have seven homers as a team. They only have four guys who have double-digit RBIs. But they basically just do enough to win games and support that great pitching staff. The record's not outstanding, 15-10-1, but they've been good in conference play so far, and that's all that matters. Well, good in conference play, certainly a very small sample size. They've only played three games in conference all of them coming against Indiana. So Nebraska is actually 2-0-1 in conference play. And you might be thinking, well, that's odd. That's two wins, zero losses, and a tie in baseball. Well, that's because there was a travel discrepancy on Sunday. or They, they, had, they had a travel requirement against Indiana, and it is a 1-1 tie. And that could be very, very, very interesting come May when the seeding's getting figured out how that all factors in. Absolutely. I would have loved to be on a, a fly on the wall on that field on Sunday when they decided that was going to be a 1-1 tie. Very weird situation, but if there are tiebreaker scenarios going down the stretch, that could be important. And with Nebraska, while they look good, their pitching staff is really solid. As you mentioned, they've only played one team, and they could be 3-0, they could be 2-1. It's not like Minnesota, who's put together a 6-1 record. Which has been incredibly surprising for, for Minnesota, considering all the pieces that they lost last year. Matt Fiedler, the Big Ten Player of the Year. Austin Ottman is gone as well. They lost a lot of big pieces up there in Minneapolis. To be able to come back and lead the Big Ten you know, two weekends in has been pretty impressive from the Golden Gophers. Now, they don't play Maryland this year. They played last year. So that's a matchup that would have to wait potentially until the Big Ten tournament. But this week, I think, you know, even with Minnesota in first place right now in the Big Ten, you're looking at the two teams in Nebraska and Maryland that 
figure to be in the top three seeding-wise come the end of the regular season. I would agree with that. Right now, records are a huge product of who you've played because nobody's played more in than In the non-conference two. especially. Right, and in the conference, nobody's played more than two, two teams, so no offense to anybody, but let's say you drew Rutgers and Northwestern the first two weekends, not that anyone did. You could be 6-0 and and be the third-worst team in the conference or something like that. But Maryland took two of three from a good Michigan team and then dominated Rutgers, so they are in a very good, impressive 5-1 and right now. Basically, all we know about Nebraska, while we expect that they are good, all we know is that they're probably better than Indiana. Right, because they took two out of three from Indiana and I guess tied one game. Indiana right now 3-2-1 and one in conference play. They've played six games. Nebraska's only played three. I do think, I, I will disagree with you. I think the record in conference play can tell you a little bit more than you than you let on because I think you look at a team like Minnesota and Maryland at 6-0 and oh and 5-1, and one, you say, okay, they're playing pretty well in Big Ten play regardless of who they played. And you take a look at a team like Ohio State that's 1-5 and five, and you say, all right, they're struggling a little bit to start the weekend. 1-5 and five is a tough, tough, you know, deficit to make up in conference play to climb back into those top eight seeds come the tournament. It is, but and I think it depends. Like, I think Maryland's 5-1 and one is legit because they were dominant against Rutgers and got two of three from Michigan. But if you look at, team, at a team like Michigan State, a sweep the first weekend, and then they got swept the second weekend by Minnesota. So right now you say, so Michigan State's better than one team and not better than, than another. They're 3-3. Three and three, but you really don't know how good Michigan State actually is. Right, and that'll be another fun series for Maryland coming up in a couple weeks. Um, it'll be Rutgers this weekend, then home versus Penn State, and then home versus Michigan State before another home series against Northwestern and then finishing out things at High Point. But one of the things about Nebraska that this trip especially, I think, is really intriguing to John Sheff. He loves playing that tough schedule in the non-conference, and while he doesn't necessarily – you know, while you don't want to necessarily want the tougher conference to come in the schedule, in the, in the Big Ten portion of the schedule, I think this weekend is going to be one of the biggest tests for Maryland the entire season, and that's including the series at LSU, because this series is in Lincoln, Nebraska, in an environment in Lincoln that is probably among one of the better college baseball environments, certainly in all of the Big Ten with Big Red Nation out there. They traveled really well to Omaha for the Big Ten tournament last year, certainly one of the louder fan bases out there. And, I mean, Nebraska's 7-2 and two at home. Of course, Maryland is 10-1 and one at home. Different atmospheres, different programs. But I think traveling to Nebraska poses a little bit more of a challenge for Maryland. Right. The guys on the bus were really excited because the coaching staff was telling them how there are going to be some big crowds at these games at Nebraska. And for the Terps, as you mentioned, they've been dominant at home. They got a, a weekend sweep against Rutgers on the road, but... Maybe that doesn't prove all that much. So traveling on the road against a really good Nebraska team can prove something for them, bring the team closer. It's not just a bus ride up to New Jersey where it was so sunny this week. Once again. <laughs> but it's a plane ride to Nebraska. You're going out there. I bet other – I've never been to Nebraska. I don't think many people – I think there are plenty of people who have never been to Nebraska. I've been to Nebraska. For anything other than baseball? No. Right. Okay. <laughs> so my point is proven. Um but you're going there. <laughs> it's a business trip. You're going to play baseball, and Maryland's going to see how they can do on the road against a really good team. The only sample size we have right now is LSU, and that didn't go so well. Now, I will say, when it comes to this weekend, Maryland, I think, cleared its biggest Big Ten hurdle in Michigan in the opening weekend. This would be the second biggest hurdle from a competition standpoint. I, I, I agree with that, but I disagree in the sense that when you talk about hurdles— I think hurdles are going on the road and maybe losing a game to Rutgers that hurts your RPI. Or hurdles losing a game to that's Northwestern. Fair. No, that's fair. Right. And that's fair. No one's saying anything if you lose two out of three at Nebraska. Maybe it's not great for you well, as a team. Well, that's kind of the point that I was getting at. I was going to say that, you know, Maryland comes out with a series win at Nebraska. That's excellent. And they keep rolling. Come out with a series sweep. That's incredible. They keep rolling. Come away with a series loss, one and two, or, you know, you never want to get swept. But I think that the losses at Nebraska are not going to hurt nearly as much as a loss at Rutgers or at home against Michigan. And that's kind of what I was getting at. Now, I do think that Maryland and Nebraska match up very well this weekend, and I would be very surprised to see, quite frankly, I would be surprised to see either team sweep. I think both teams have, you know, the ability to reach in the bag if they're down, you know, if they split the first two games and come back and win Sunday, or, you know, if they're down 0-2 to come back and win Sunday. Um, so a sweep, I think, on either side, is something that I'd be surprised to see. 
But for Maryland, a team that's rolling right now, 17 of the last 20 games, six of the last seven, five of the first six to start conference play, I think you carry that momentum in Lincoln and you feel pretty good about yourself. Absolutely. This would, and we mentioned it a few minutes ago, two of maybe the three or four toughest series of the season are coming in the first three weekends of Big Ten play. So if Maryland can keep winning, that would be huge. They take a springboard off the sweep at Rutgers. And I totally agree. I don't expect to sweep it all this weekend on either side. It's not like the situation last weekend where I was talking to some of the Rutgers people and when game three started on Sunday, they said, this isn't going to go well. We have no one left. Now, that's not to say just because we don't expect a sweep doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Right. I, I mean, there is a chance that it happens. Right. But there's, it's not going to be a situation that you see sometimes where it gets to Sunday and both te- it's unlikely where both teams say or one team says we're out of pitching. This is not going to go well, which is what happened with Rutgers. Both these teams have the depth, and I expect this to be a low enough scoring series where you're not going to get a 14-13 on Friday night where somebody blows through the bullpen. Now, as we, as we kind of wrap up this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, one of the things that will be interesting to see against Richmond and then this weekend against Nebraska is the health of Kevin Smith, and that could play a big factor. Right. I talked to Kevin, and he described his injury, uh, or he described the day off yesterday as precautionary, and the official word on him is day-to-day. He seemed all right when I talked to him. He wasn't taking ground balls or, or anything, but he also said, I really just don't know what it is. And so they're going to see when they get back today. They're hoping for the best. Without Smith, it takes a bat out of the lineup. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, and this is complete speculation, I wouldn't be surprised if he just doesn't play against Richmond tomorrow, or today, I guess, for precautionary reasons again. Hopefully for them, they can get him back over the weekend. Speaking of Richmond, quickly, um, they have an interesting story about them this season. They have the five players suspended because of playing fantasy football. And they're going to get four of those guys back this weekend, but none of them will be back for the game against Maryland. And one is not being reinstated, but just an interesting story. Definitely interesting, and I want to touch on that for a second as well. But going back to Kevin Smith, just before we jump over there, I would expect that should Smith not play against Richmond, it'll be interesting to see how things shuffle around, whether you see A.J. Lee move over to shortstop and Bionic play third, or Pat Heisel get another opportunity at short after his two games on Sunday. That remains to be seen, and quite frankly, I'm not sure which one is going to happen. I'm not really leaning either way in terms of speculation on one or the other. If it were me, I would leave Lee at third base just because while shortstop is maybe his natural position, he's adjusted pretty well to third base. He struggled early, but now he's getting into the flow of things. And if I was John Sheff, I wouldn't want to move him around positions. Just let him stay at third base. Kevin's in all likelihood going to be back very soon. So we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on that and let you know everything that we know going forward. But going back to that Richmond story, five players suspended for playing fantasy football, which I think we can both agree is ridiculous um, because there are just some things that you shouldn't be penalized for. Um, we have our own fantasy baseball league, and we still get to broadcast the games. But right, and that's my, a conversation. my team is doing very well so far. <laughs> that's a conversation for another time. We won't go into the NCAA or anything like that. That's a little bit above our pay grade. But when it comes to Richmond, two of those guys are big, big players for the Spiders. You know, one of their top pitchers, a guy who was supposed to be one of the A-10 pitchers of the year last year and even this year is one of those four guys, and that's really where they've struggled a lot is pitching depth. One of their best hitters, also one of the players that's that hasn't been able to come back, a senior leader that was a guy who is a career 300 hitter, not in that lineup for them. And those have been kind of the, the two biggest reasons why Richmond has kind of been an up-and-down team so far this season. They're not quite 500, a little bit under 500, but they're playing pretty much 500 baseball. Right, and it's been tough for them. And if you're Maryland on the other side, it's an opportunity to take advantage of an opponent that's not at full strength. We talk about this seemingly every week. It'll be very interesting to see who Maryland gives the start to. We talked about a couple candidates last week, one being Ryan Hill. Hill worked two innings on Saturday, not too much stress, not too many pitches. And then I don't think this will happen. I won't. I would not advocate for it. But Andrew Miller didn't even get in a game this weekend. So I would expect to see him on the mound at some point tomorrow just to say lose. Well, it'll certainly interesting. Now, last week against St. Joe's, even though the Maryland did not play the game, John Murphy was going to get the ball to start that game. And he did pitch this weekend, but it'll be interesting to see if he gets the chance against Richmond at home. If I remember correctly, I don't know that he's ever made a home start. I'll have to double-check that for you guys before we get to the ballpark for the game against Richmond. But 
Ryan Hills, another guy who was in that conversation for last week as well. So we'll certainly keep tabs on that and let you know all the information we know as we go forward. And you can keep up with us on Twitter, at, Mer at MDBaseballNet, on Facebook, facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. Of course, our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. Our series preview for Richmond is up. We'll have information on Nebraska later this week. And don't forget that piece about Pat Heisel that'll be up sometime this week as well, a really good one from Joe Catapano. So as we wrap up this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, want to say a special thank you to Marty Costas for making the time tonight to join us. Really fun conversation with Marty, a guy who's been playing really well and is always interesting to talk to. And on a personal note, I'm going to have to practice my 2K in the week to take him on in Lincoln this weekend because, you know, he, he really wiped the floor with me last year in Omaha, so i got to get my revenge. Yeah, and I, I meant to ask you, for that interview, was it kind of a party atmosphere, would you say? <laughs> it was it was a Marty party for sure. Well, yeah, and uh, before we conclude, just if anybody has any suggestions for my face, feel free to send me a direct message on Twitter. I've heard aloe anything. works pretty well. Yeah, I, I feel weird putting stuff on my face, though. <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let Justin deal with that himself. Justin Galanti, Jake Eisenberg, special thanks to Marty Costas, the rest of our MBN staff as well. You know where to find us on social media. Remember, you can... Subscribe to this podcast by searching Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. That's only if you like what you're listening to. And, well, if you've listened this far, I wager that you do. <laughs> so we'll see you against Richmond. That one getting started at 4 o'clock tomorrow. We'll get started at 3.30 on the Maryland Baseball Network. And then this weekend, the Terps traveling out to Nebraska for a three-game set in Lincoln. So until then, so long. Keep away from a run.